I've got like six gigabytes of Minecraft mods next to the like 200 megabytes that Minecraft is. You say these words and all I hear is a 1990s dial-up tone. Great fully work. Waiting for a break in the rain Waiting for the moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl Created out of nothing like a comic book girl Hey! Do you ever think about the plight of the American chestnut? <laughs> I think about the plate of the American chestnut all the time. Erso, did you wait? So wait, where, where, Erso, where are you right now? Well, I just moved house. So you just moved house. Okay. As a direct result of that, I am currently sitting in the middle of the park. <laughs> nice, picturesque. Discussion yeah. notes from the park. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a podcast name. Guys, what if we made a podcast? I don't listen to podcasts. They. Suck. I mean, me neither. But like, I only listen to podcasts while I'm like doing menial grinding things. What does that mean? When you're playing video I think games it's a and you're, gamer thing. you're farming farming Medial for resources, grinding thing. When you're when you shut your brain off and you want to do an automatic task, and you it's too bad that Parker isn't in the park because that would be funny. Parker in the park is the children's book that you star in. Uh, yes. Parker in the park. Uh, hi, I'm Parker year I use she, her, and my favorite movie is Orange Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Air so in the air. <laughs> so in the air. <laughs> is there a lot of noise? coming from my end well now there is there wasn't until you said anything about it and now there is there's one of the big trucks is just lumbering on past that guy looked at me why is everyone looking at me weird i'm just on my probably because you're recording a class discussion in the middle of a park on your laptop i do look like i well because i i have like a gamer microphone on my headset so you look like you're playing video games in the middle of the park. I look like I'm playing hands-free StarCraft Eight. Anyway, what is your name? Who are you? Who are you all? I've already introduced myself. My name's Erso, and my fun fact of this week is that I stayed up for like an hour this morning just lying in bed staring at my ceiling trying to think of a fun fact, but I didn't. <laughs> That's really depressing. That's okay. Mine was a really obscure joke, so... Yeah, I didn't get it, so I just ignored it. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Who are, who are you? My name's Cassandra Kelly. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm making wine in my kitchen sink. Nice. What kind? The kind that's grapes I found. Nice. Brad and I keep talking about making mead. We have to just go to the store and get a gallon of pure water. I've been thinking about making mead with, like, crappy tap water just because I have some honey syrup that I made for canning peaches in, and there's so much left over that I'm just like, I could probably make mead with this. Add a little bit more water, add some yeast. I know that you're really into making food and stuff, Cassandra, and I think that's very noble, but my experience with, like, making new sorts of foods, especially ones that involve liquids is exclusively when I was, like, five, and I was like, wow, I really like peanut butter, but I also really like milk. What if I put peanut butter at the bottom <laughs> of my milk and sucked it up through a straw? <laughs> this explains a lot about you. <laughs> I was a foolish, 
little child. Anyway, we've been talking for a long time uh, without actually saying anything important. I have an appointment at two, so I have to go in a bit. So uh, let's get into it. Today we're going over Animorphs Volume 20, The Discovery, featuring Marco turning into a snake on the cover. And looking quite smug about it. but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Oh, no. Uh, so, so now that it's just you and me in our class discussion group, we're going to have to get Skylar back in because Brad's dropped the class and I can't do all this myself. I did get a hitman to assassinate Cassandra. I have a synopsis. Oh, yes. Please make your synopsis. All right, here we go. I am all ears, all mammalian ears. Volume 20 begins with Marco putting the moves on a classmate. His suave veneer is shattered as a new kid passes him in the halls holding the Escafil device the Cubell Fangor used to give the Animorphs their powers. Marco corners the new kid, learns that his name is David, and fails to either play it cool or get the cube. After school, he the animorph- He says yo. He does yeah. say yo. I, I love his part where he's he's like, I don't know why I said yo. I am not a yo kind of person because this is exactly me when I like accidentally say some new piece of internet slang that's not something <laughs> I would ever actually say. After school, the animorphs hold an emergency meeting and prepare to steal the cube. While waiting at a Burger King for Tobias to do recon on David's house, Eric shows up and passes the Animorphs some of that sweet chi intel. Leaders from six global powers are meeting in town in two days, and the Yerks are planning to take advantage. After nearly being caught morphing in the bathroom, Marco flies with Rachel and Tobias to David's house. Marco makes it through David's window, but accidentally knocks it shut and winds up in a skirmish with David's cat, Megadeth. We hate Megadeth. Spelled with an E, uh, Rachel does her Rachel thing and crashes through David's window in a rescue attempt, and David arrives in his room and starts shooting at Marcho and Marcho and Rachel, uh... (laughs) Starts shooting at Marco and Rachel with a BB gun. A chase ensues. Rachel and Marco escape downstairs through a sliding glass door, but Marco forfeits the cube. Bummer. The next day at school, David finds Marco at lunch and tells him that he's about to sell the cube to someone from the internet. Because that never went wrong. With only a few hours before an email with David's address is scheduled to go out to Visor 3, Marco flees school. Oh, the 1990s were such a trusting time. Indeed, the internet was just better back then, uh, other than the way that they accessed it. Marco flees school, picks up Tobias and Hackerman Aximili, and returns to David's house. <laughs> Prince Jake, I believe I am, as they say, in. <laughs> God. Wait, since you said Hackerman, I just want to sing the... Out of time, running in, in and, and out of time. time. You're no the ticking <laughs> of the countdown clock, clock tonight. tonight. Um, Anyways. So now that it's just me in the class discussion. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Marco trips the burglar alarm in a panic. Both Marco and Axe rush upstairs and hide in David's bedroom as David's real gun toting. We hate David's father and we hate David's aesthetic. He it's sucks. Horrible. In a panic, Marco and Axe rush upstairs and hide in David's bedroom as David's real gun toting NSA employed father walks in. Pew pew. Pew pew. Marco hides under David's bed, where it turns out his pet cobra lives. Illegal! Yes. Marco acquires the cobra while Axe distracts David's dad in Spider-Morph. David's dad leaves to- Spider-Morph. Spider-Morph. Okay. David's dad leaves to meet and dismiss folks from the security company, and Marco morphs the cobra. Instincts take over, and Marco briefly eats Axe. David's father returns to the room just in time to catch Axe demorphing. Marco stalls David's dad by thought-speaking to him and alerting him to David's early return, but it's too late. Just after David enters his bedroom and encounters the scene, Visser 3 arrives in search of the cube, accompanied by several hork controllers, with the rest of the Animorphs hot on their Plot tail. Plot twist, he was the scary man from the internet. 
Indeed, yes, Fisher 3 was the scary man from the internet. But an absolute fracas ensues. The Animorphs escape with David and the Escafil device in tow. David's house is nearly destroyed, and David's parents are both captured and made controllers. After a tense discussion, our savior teens vote to bring David into the fold as a new Animorph. They give him the talk, demonstrate their abilities, prove that David's dad is a controller, hook David up with a few morphs, and prepare to foil the Yerk's plan for the Summit of World Leaders. While in Bird Morph, the whole squad notices a closeted... A closeted <laughs> a closeted, what? <laughs> Uh, while in Birdmorph, the whole squad notices a cloaked Yerk ship intercept a helicopter that they believe contains the President of the United States. Jake, Cassie, Axe, Marco, and David manage to scoot into the blade ship and hide under the President's helicopter. They try to morph roaches. David panics mid-morph and nearly blows their cover, but Cassie gets him under control, and they complete the morph and end up hiding up the President's pant leg, as Visser 3 acquires Slash him. Slash man. Slash man. What? Slash man. Yeah. Uh, the Yerks prepare to return the president and his helicopter to the air, and the draft from the bay doors pulls the Animorphs from their helicopter and sends them into free fall. And I'm free, free falling. I was going to do the Mission Impossible theme, but that's better. I was going to do the dramatic go for bam, bam, bam. Uh, but yeah, Tom Petty or whatever his name is. I just associate that song with the Ocean State job lot near my house because it's the only song that they ever play <laughs> over the speakers. <laughs> Classic Rock 102.3, The Wolf. <laughs> I can still do it perfectly. Back in California, the Classic Rock station was 96.9, The Eagle. <laughs> <laughs> They're all different animorphs. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this book is part one of three of what we in uh, our little discussion group have ever been referring to as the David Saga. The David Trilogy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, Saga sounds cool. I don't. I didn't know the details of this going in. I knew that David existed. I knew that he was briefly part of the Animorphs. I know what happened to him, but I uh, didn't know what he was like as a human being prior to this one. Bad. Yeah, bad boy. David's an interesting character. Mm, I feel like dudes like David are a dime a dozen. David is textually a misogynist and... Like, also, we've talked a lot about mental illness in this class discussion in past, but I think I think David either lacks empathy or has perhaps another condition that makes him just so much more willing to do the things that he does, because it's a little not obvious in this one, but as we get into it... I don't know, I think that's a really short-sighted, ableist view, because, like, as someone who I myself am not like a very empathetic person but like i have a sense of right and wrong so i i know how to like make moral decisions it's just not because of my feelings it's because of what i know is right and wrong david also knows what's right what's right and wrong but, to me david um, doesn't seem at all like he is at all mentally ill i think that the way that a lot of people want to think that people like david people who do all kinds of horrible violence especially when they're young white men they want it to be a mental illness thing because they want to be able to have something to blame other than just like young white men and they want to think that, like, no one normal could do such horrible things when it's, like, I think David is not at all mentally ill. I think he's just a disaffected young white man because mentally ill people are normally the ones who are the victims of violence. And I just, I kind of, this this always sets me off. Sorry, Erso, but this is just kind no, of... No, no, no. I think that's some, a really valuable perspective. I want to hear that. Something that really annoys me, especially, you know, when talking about school shooters 
um, and all kinds of stuff like that is just... I think that he is also an, an incredibly entitled, disaffected young yeah. white man. I, I don't... I just don't think those things don't necessarily go hand in hand, but I also very much see the argument for, like, that not being a factor. I also think, to respond to your, like, earlier comment, I think David very much knows right from wrong. He just... And I also, I also think he has an issue with empathy, which is, again, to clarify, not something I believe is, like, an inherent quality, like, a sense, like, touch or sight or something, but it is, like, something that some people work at and some people don't, and as a result, it's not, it's not an inherent quality that makes you a good or bad person. It just, it, it changes David's perception of how much his good or bad actions like how much he has to think about them as like actually affecting other people yeah he's not socially encouraged to or required to think about that kind of stuff on that level because he does have a very bad case of 90s white toxic masculinity yeah i feel like that's i feel like it's less like david inherently is less empathetic and more like he just hasn't had a need to be empathetic and so it's sort of like it's like a muscle that he doesn't exercise exactly empathy is a skill and he does not he has not practiced that skill yeah, I, I, I do agree there. I, I was worried that you were arguing that, like, empathy is an innate thing, and if you don't have it, you're a bad person, and blah, et cetera, et cetera. Because I hear that argument way too much. I think we could also do a sort of classic 90s, like, sort of scapegoating thing here and blame the parents a little bit. Uh, oh, I mean, absolutely. We don't, we don't meet David's mother at all. Like, she's just not in the picture, at least in this journal, but, like... I don't know, based on what we know about his dad, his dad doesn't seem like a nice person. His dad seems pretty controlling and entitled based on just the very, very bare minimum that we get. Also, he works for the NSA, so, you know, automatically don't trust him. Right. And he's willing to, like, break the law for his child. Uh, his child has a cobra, again, illegal under any circumstances. That's a controlled animal. I don't care if it's been devenomed. That's not a yeah. thing you could do. I think that they're more so heavily regulated because it's there aren't really a lot of ethical ways to get a hold of a cobra. Yeah, makes sense. So dad's already willing to do some shady stuff to sort of like enforce, enforce that 90s white toxic masculinity. It's gross. And I think the kids are aware of that, but they don't have the language for it. Like they don't have the, the class analysis necessary to be able to discuss it on that level they're just like wow yeah. he just he just seems like kind of a jerk huh <laughs> i think i think they there are like sort of bits and pieces of them being aware of it um one thing that really i noticed because when i lived in california uh, my family moved about halfway through the time that we lived there or that i lived there and we moved to a house with a pool uh, so I really noticed the part where Marco's like, wow, David has a pool. I wish I had one. Because I was like, oh, yeah, we had a pool, too, because we're, like, mm. upper middle class. So I definitely... There's stuff like that, like, oh, he has a pool. Oh, he has these pets. His Like, he has, like, a fake gun or a BB gun, you know? And so I think that's at least, like, subtextually there is Marco's thinking a lot about class dynamics here. Yeah. I have a question that might be a discussion jumping off point, which is how do we look at the ways that the two white men in this group process their masculinity differently and sort of reckon with each other, i.e. David and Jake? Also Tobias. Uh, well, also Tobias, although... He's I not... know we all think that Tobias is probably trans, but according he's also, to the He's text... also not uh, absorbing culture at 
the rate yeah, that they true. are. He's not as and he probably in wasn't popular culture of yeah. He probably he probably anymore. wasn't even before he was a hawk because he right. was bouncing around between various dysfunctional homes, which we will soon learn even more about. Yeah, we don't really get a lot of pers- of Jake's perspective in this one because Marco's narrating it. I'm just really interested to see how that dynamic evolves and what that's like and sort of what Jake sees of himself and his own culture reflected in David and how he separates himself from that. I don't know. Basically, how how Jake looks at the choices that David makes and the way that David operates in the world and sort of distances himself from the sort of things that he views as toxic or as, like, uh, antisocial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but they, like, definitely immediately sort of butt heads. And I think Jake is actually a little bit more apologetic of what David's doing to antagonize the other members. I mean, he's, like, suspicious, but I think he's a little bit more inherently trustworthy than the other kids. I might be wrong about that. But uh, the Animorphs are, at this point at least, the one thing that they have going for them is that they're incredibly secretive and incredibly cautious and david is not those things no indeed (laughs) david is two things that are working against him here on the one hand there's this like i want to kill animals for fun i have a pet cobra named after a comic book character from the edgy era and also my cat is named megadeth what the so like on the one hand you've got you've got his sort of like the 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 sort of lord the sort of violent dark way that he expresses his masculinity and himself and the minor ethical violations and just like decent personhood that that does for him the other thing that uh that is working against him here and that the animorphs judge him for is the fact that he's not an experienced combatant uh, he's not used to any of this stuff yet, and it freaks him out. He starts screaming mm-hmm. while morphing a cockroach like a reasonable person, you know? I got it. Can I Can I, Can I? I be controversial here? Okay. Yeah. I think the Animorphs who voted to let David become a controller were right. A uh, controller? Wait, when they're, like, hiding in an alley, his parents have been taken, and they're voting, like, should they just take the Esquivel device and leave and have him be picked up and eventually become a controller because he doesn't know anything about them yet? Oh, Or right. should they bring him into the Animorphs? I think they made the wrong decision. And Rachel was the tiebreaker, and I think she made the wrong decision. Yeah, she was just like, let's do it, whatever. Yeah. If you are going to say let's do it, at least say let's do it for a better reason than just like, oh, sure, let's see what happens. I think Axe is correct when he talks about it being too much of a risk and i understand point of like well if we don't start here where do we start and like with someone you've carefully vetted yeah yeah i agree that axe's sort of analysis of the sort of guerrilla strategy nature of the war that they're fighting is like very sort of on point and very like yeah that's just sort of empirically correct yeah like have a small group or have a big group don't have an in-between group i mean i don't want to like understate the amount of psychological torture that any controller goes through but he would likely physically be relatively safe-ish compared to much more actively in danger as an anamorph, even if he, you know, emerged much later with years of trauma built up. Well, but he got a lot of trauma anyway from the stuff that happens later on. So it's really... they. It, there's so, no good solution. He's just going to end up psycholo- so, uh, psychologically tortured no matter what. You could at least let him end up psychologically tortured, but, like, not giving you away and almost getting you killed. I 
think that this kind of encroaches a little bit on the question that we had from the TA, actually. For oh, this that's week. a good point. Oh, yeah. Um, RTA Escafil. I don't know if they're named after the device or the Andalite. Oh, TA Escafil. Yeah, no, 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 no. I've, yeah, we've, we've, we've exchanged emails. They're fun. Cool. I have not because I don't do any extra work. They said, do you think that the Animorphs could have changed the way things played out if they had been more welcoming of David? Or do you think that he's irredeemable and he would have caused fractures regardless of what they did? I reject this binary. (laughs) I do also kind of reject this binary. And I do also think that there's no such thing as someone who's like truly irredeemable. But also he is definitely a nasty piece of work. I don't. Relatively speaking for a 13 year old. I don't know if they are equipped at the moment that they encounter him to give him the care that he needs in order to fit into their group and be functional. He's always the new kid. I feel really bad for him. I saw this like video just the other day that was saying that like moving once in your childhood is considered to be like a traumatic event. But here's David who has to move every few years because of his dad's job. So like... Complex PTSD. Woo! I know that I was saying I don't think he's mentally ill. I, I will admit that maybe he has some complex PTSD from, like, all the moving and stuff. But, like, he's always the new kid. He's probably, like, just really so, so used to being thrust into pre-established groups and trying to fit in and failing. I think he's also kind of self-sabotaging, probably. That he definitely is. I would definitely agree about that. I can't speak to his experience I want to, as a, as a, a ch- someone who was relocated as a child against my will, but, like, only one time. Yeah, same. Like, I want to speak to his experience, but I don't feel like I can. I do know, though, that when you lack that stability in your life, there is an awkward tension between wanting to stay true to yourself and wanting to be independent and wanting to be in control and wanting to craft an identity around that that sort of, like, demonstrates that your own sort of self-reliance and your own sort of toughness and your own inability to be affected by the world and a desire to find companionship and to find camaraderie wherever it is that you end up. That yearning for um, identity definitely seems like one of his issues. Yeah, because I definitely ended up in the former camp. I was not really interested in uh, assimilating at all into the into the environment that I found myself in as oh, a kid. Yeah. Like, not at all. I was very much... Like, I didn't manifest it in all of the ways that... Uh, I didn't manifest it in all the ways that David did, because some of them are... Uh, yeah, Extremely bad. <laughs> scary and, like... Illegal, but not even in a fun way. There's a lot of, like, outdated ableist terms that we use for some of the things that he does, but they're profoundly antisocial and should give any reasonable sort of peer pause. Yeah. Especially uh, those who are going to be doing some high stakes work with him. And this is about as high stakes as as it has gotten. Right. I wouldn't even want to be on like a class group project with this guy, let alone trying to save the world. On the other hand, I feel like if I were in the situation of the Animorphs and I was a teen of their age, I would have brought him on and I would have tried my best to be accommodating to him and welcoming to him. Let me present a hypothetical to Mm -hmm. you. So you are stuck in horse morph. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Running Uh, a restaurant. You are not allowed to abandon this thought. You are not allowed to finish this in any way other than with this way that you've started. You've brought us here. You've got to see us out. So you're stuck in horse morph for two hours, like socially bound to be in horse morph. Wait, are you you saying you're a horse nothlet or you're just temporarily a horse? No, no, you're just temporarily a horse. You're just socially bound to be a horse for two hours. Um, you are. You have to really embody horseness. 
horse And you have to you have to provide empathy and care and like really extend almost to a, a, a dangerous extent your groups in group for this newcomer. What do you do? Well, first I start a hibachi restaurant. <laughs> Within two hours? <laughs> I'm a very fast horse. I have, you know, some really good, um, you know, entrepreneurship skills. And I've got, you know, some venture capitalists on call. Stupid horse. <laughs> While uh, sort of riding through the American Midwest and like letting my mane flow freely this behind is Southern me California in a, in a display of majestic beauty. I mean, yeah, I would have to talk about it with everybody. Like I would obviously, you know, it would be a vote still, but I think I would fall on the Cassie side of the argument. But I let's don't know. say let's Typical. say that y'all I mean, let's say that y'all did. And let's say you were successful in inviting this new person into the group. And let's say that the world wasn't, like, in such immediate peril. Let's say for whatever reason the Animorphs had a little time to chill and get to know this person. Do you think that things would have gone differently? If, Maybe. Like, yes. I do think I do think the pressure is part of the problem here, like the pressure on him and the pressure on them. But I don't know, see, my my vibe with this is that you're you're framing this as like being more accommodating is a good thing and i feel like they are relatively accommodating and with guys like this speaking as someone who got like a little bit stalked by a guy like this in high school with guys like this boundaries are where you want to you want to put your stats um into the boundaries rather than being accommodating and I feel like the best boundary to draw here would be, let's let this dude become a controller and not let him join our group. <laughs> That's right, a boundary. So we, we have some differing perspectives from the horses. <laughs> yeah, we're having a, we're having a, I a say spirited nay. horse debate. I don't really ever think it would have worked out with David, frankly. Hmm, really? We just see the kind of person that he is. In all well, but personalities aren't innate. I mean, I know I'm, I keep being like, oh, he's awful, avoid him, but also personalities aren't innate. I was extremely unpleasant to be around when I was this age, and now I'm only somewhat unpleasant to be around, so. <gasps> Let's put you in a high-pressure pressure situation. I've been in high-pressure situations. It's called being disabled. Pressure wash your personality. Oh, God, I would love to pressure wash my personality. I want to pressure wash my brain and die instantly. Here's a high-pressure situation. You're a horse, and you... <laughs> Anyways, um... Yeah, I don't know. I, um... That's my read on the situation. I tend to get, like, really clear reads on people that are almost always correct. And I also yeah. don't want to just pretend is, like, completely free of classism. Mm. But also, like... So if you're a classist horse... So I'm a classist horse, and I have to... <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm also, I also think that, like, obviously, like, knowing what I know now, if I were in this situation, yeah, no, I would, it would pain me. I would probably feel very bad about it afterwards, but, like, I probably would make him a controller now, obviously, in my current, like, brain. Well, that's a confirmation bias. I think by, like, age 13, or maybe 14, I don't know if they've, like, aged up yet, because we, it's never clear exactly what the timeline is. We just know no that 13 at the beginning. Yet. Well, maybe they don't want to talk about when the birthdays are or whatever. I think by this age, I already had encountered some dudes like this, so I hopefully would already be willing to draw that boundary and be like, eh, let him get controlled. You could offer free would horse you, rides would... to your friends for your birthday party. Yes. <laughs> and would Hibachi. you be able to identify that about David, like, from the get-go, though? No. I have always been really good at 
picking up the vibe of like this per- something about this person rubs me wrong and then later I find out like they're they've been like credibly accused of abuse or like mm-hmm. they're a misogynist. I mean the point of no return is when Marco watches David kill a crow while in Golden Eagle Morph. That's the point at which Yeah. It's it's over. Like they know that something Well at least Marco does, because every- he says everyone else seems to buy it. Uh, I think I think Jake and Rachel at least are aware of that. Yeah, I think they're savvy. I think he says something specific. I can't remember like where it is right now. I feel like he says something specifically about how Cassie seems to buy it, but I feel like Cassie is the least likely to buy it. Actually, look at it, page fifty-six of the PDF. The other thing There's is that Jake David tries to computer. There's ants crawling into my computer. Oh no! Yeah, it says the others certainly bought it. Cassie comforted him. I think Cassie knows he's lying, because as we see throughout this book, Cassie's really good at emotionally manipulating people when she needs to be good at it, which I I love about her. Sorry. Are you good? Are the Animorphs invading your computer in Antmorph? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, then perish. Morph out and destroy your solid state drive while they're still in it. No, Um, not the solid state drive. I, I agree that I think Cassie... Probably does, but I, I was just going based off of the fact that, like, we have those other perspectives. Cassie says something really poignant in sort of the second book of this trilogy, which is um, that it's about character. She says, like, it's about character, not um, not something else. But I <laughs> that was really... I can't... It's, like, about character, not quality or something. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. But it's how it's how she teaches Jake to, like, read people a little bit better than he has been. Ooh. That'll be exciting. He needs it. I don't think he's irredeemable. I think that they're not in the position to give him the work that he needs. Yeah, exactly. And that's like something that you really, so many people have to learn and that I've had to learn is like, people generally speaking are not irredeemable, but you don't have to be the one to redeem them just because they're like redeemable. I'm still not good at like realizing when I don't need to do the work. Like sometimes like, like older folks at my work, like I'll be like, hey, you could maybe be a little less racist and transphobic. Empirically, like, what the internet tells me is, like, don't waste your effort on them, they'll be dead soon, and I'm like, yes, that's the point. But, like, I can't not try. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking less, like, you know, calling someone out for saying something bigoted and more, like, doing the, like, long-haul, deep-dive effort into, like, overhauling their entire personality to be less awful. Which is Mm -hmm. absolutely something I'm not suited for and never have been. And that nobody should need to do that work because... There are some people who are good at it and who are willing to do it, and I salute them, but I am not them. I think I'm good at it, but I hate doing it. Yeah, then don't don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. I I try not to, but it's it's hard. It's hard because you feel a moral imperative. Yeah. You feel this like is you where being selfish is really helpful. I highly recommend cultivating like a heightened sense of selfishness. Erso and I are going to be over here hoisted on our own empathies. Have fun. Bye. Yeah, we'll just we'll just. It's not even about. It's not even just about empathy. It's literally just like I feel indebted to people for like existing and like. <laughs> That's so uh, depressing. I, I feel I feel bound. I'm sorry, I feel by like I'm laughing at you a lot, but oh my god! Emotional labor for them no. all the time. Yeah, I mean, I I get that too. Like, I feel duty bound to create better citizens. That 
that to me is important. Uh, just not by having children because ha 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 by talking to other people's children and molding them and talking to older pe- folks and molding them um, as best I can. It's like there's a horse loose in a hibachi restaurant. I think eventually everything's going to be okay, but I have no idea what's going to happen next, and neither do any of you, and neither do your parents, because there's a horse loose in the hibachi restaurant. It's never happened before. No one knows what the horse is going to do, least of all the horse. He's never been in a hibachi restaurant before. He's as confused as you are. There's no experts. They try to find experts on the news. They're like, we're joined now by a man that once saw a bird in the airport. Get out of here with that. We've all seen a bird in the airport. This is a horse loose in a hibachi restaurant. No one uses fax machines, but call, you'll hear the noise. Statues left by ancient Greeks, the perfect cheeks of goddesses and boys. I'm looking for the bit where Cassie manages the boy. It's um chapter 25. I'm trying to beginning. stay on task. I just control f the word um, manipulate. But yeah, go Cassie. I love it when Cassie takes the kid gloves off and goes full megalomaniac manipulating person. It's the best version of Cassie, IMO. Oh, yeah. I love uh, book 25 when Cassie gets a bat leth and gets to just go ham on a bunch of people. Um See, the thing is, it's been so long since I read these, I can't totally remember if you're kidding or not, Parker. I'm fully kidding. I support Cassie with this whole ham. Cassie's tired of being tokenized and forced to do all of the emotional work for the whole team. Cassie's tired of your crap. Yeah. I also am deeply evil smiley face emoticon about Cassie using her insight to manipulate people. Those are my notes. <laughs> Including Rachel. Yeah, I, f- I figured that last part. Yeah, like, <clears throat> ten years later... David absolutely would have just been like Reddit using. I was busy stalking. studying the blade. Yeah, like teleports what behind are, you. What are these words you're referring to? What are these horrible internet subcultures of the early two thousands that you don't want to know about? Oh, okay, cool. Do you know what Gamergate is? That's a pretty historic. Oh event. no! No, don't I don't. Say the word Gamergate. Okay, don't don't worry about it. Basically, it just represents like everything that's wrong with men. <laughs> Honestly. I've always pointed to that part for, like, the sort of public acceptance of the descent into fascism. Yeah. In the early, like, post-2000s, post-Reagan era. What I've heard is that Gamergate was actually sort of preceded by people doing the same thing to, like, women of color, and just there was no publicity about that because they were women of color. And then once people started, like, doxing and harassing white feminist people who wrote in like the area of games and stuff like yeah. that that was when gamergate really popped off right isn't it always that it's like always like yeah white women are like oh wow this is horrible and black women are just like <laughs> we know <laughs> we've we've been dealing with this the whole time y'all just like weren't listening i do think though that gamergate really empowered a lot of fascists basically to be a lot more mask off. Not to, not to say we can't armchair diagnose, you know, David. So I don't know how David's politics shape up, but is David a fascist? He would be. His dad works for the NSA. Well, his dad I mean, works for the NSA, but we can't blame the we can't blame the sons for the sins of the father. He owns a cobra. He has a cat named Megadeth. That's okay. politics enough. <laughs> I mean... He kills a crow for fun. He kills a crow for fun. Well, yeah, so so he's terrible, he's miso- but like... He's misogynist to Rachel. 
Where I, I remember that that's a thing, but I don't remember where it is. Uh, it's but in the, like, it's in the third one. All I'm saying is that everybody could be a, like any given person could be terrible, but is he a fascist? I just get a really strong vibe off of him. Like you know, ten, twenty years later, that he would be on the the deepest, grungiest internet forums, doxing women for like having big boobs and an opinion. He's exactly the kind of kid that they recruit. Like, bad relationship with his parents, probably seeing as his dad's kind of awful. Even if his relationship, like, now is fine, he probably would, like, realize later that it was messed up. Like, you know, has trouble fitting in and joining groups because he moved around a lot. Disaffected, angry, has some tendencies towards yeah, he's, he's enjoying looking for identity. pain. Yeah, he's looking for identity. White men look for, like, they find identity in Nazism. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about, like, what would be necessary to make him a productive anamorph or a productive member of society in general. Well, okay, let's let's maybe not say productive because I hate the capitalist tone of that. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> a valuable and, like, a member of the, like, a, a well-integrated member of the Animorphs, or something like that. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say value kind of has the same Yeah, I know. I was, I, I was just kind of, like, mentally scrolling yeah. through words. But, Parker, you, you can do that emotional labor. I'm just gonna sit over here for a moment. Because, <laughs> like, it seems like, I mean, obviously the way that it went down is not great, and the, 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 the conversation that we've had thus far seems to be drawing the conclusion that the only reasonable option for this kid was to m- surrender him to the Yurks and make him a controller. Um, yeah, I think which, a lot like, of it is the circumstances. Yeah, like, this is war? Bad things happen in war? No. I don't feel like it's the only option, though. But it might have been yeah. the only option considering the circumstances. Um, I just, like, I wonder what it would have taken. Hmm, I feel like... If there was something they could have done earlier to change how they were getting the Escafil device so that they didn't have the big confrontation with Visser 3 and his parents didn't get captured and then they could introduce him more slowly. I mean, I think the ideal thing would be for David to not even become an Animorph and just not also become a controller either and just be like, at worst, you know, a sad, lonely boy on the internet. All right, but now what I'm thinking about is the initial attempt to get the Escafil device. Yeah, I feel like if that had succeeded. If they had just planned a little bit better and a little bit more thoroughly, perhaps none of this malarkey would have needed to happen. That's why I have a note that I wrote for our class discussion that just says, this is a disaster. It really was. It's like everything that could have gone wrong, just absolutely. So could there have been a planning aspect to that? Like, could they have come up with a better strategy? Marco's in a suboptimal morph because he can't see, right? And that that results in the whole trapped situation. Well, they just underestimate the situation. They're like, let's just fly and get the box and get out. But it's not that simple. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, on one hand, it's like, well, it makes sense that they would just think, let's fly and get the box and fly out because it's just a, you know, random suburban kid in his house. But on the other hand, I feel like they should just probably make a policy to just always overplan a little bit just in case yeah but then on the third hand that i am temporarily growing for the purposes of saying this they are as marco says idiot teenagers with a death wish the thing is that they're capable of overplanning and they do it really well a couple of times namely while jake while jake's briefly that's true good point yeah um there's a couple uh, there's like one other and well then even in this journal when they know that david is gonna sneak out and like they have people watching and marco goes with him exactly all that 
they're capable of that degree of high-level planning. Um, they're just teenagers, so they don't always think they need to do it, because yeah. they're impulsive. And I feel like also, you know, being presented with, like, oh, crap, the Escafil device, which we thought was lost, but it's just there, is now, like, in play. We gotta go get it right now. Can we get a good old-fashioned Marco's Masculinity Corner in? Oh, absolutely. And his name is John C. <laughs> Marco's Masculinity Corner. I shucked off my sweatshirt. Don't lose that shirt, I said. It was signed by Steve Young. Marco, it was signed like two years ago, and you've watched it at least once since then. The name is totally indivisible now. I didn't say it was still signed, did I? I said it was signed. It has sentimental value. Marco and his attachment to his objects at this point reads as quaint. I would say, I would say it's quaint on the surface, and also he's just like, please, I can't have any more trauma. I need. He's to like, I can't lose anything else. I can't, you know, I already lost my mom. I temporarily lost my dad to grief. I, you know, I've almost lost my friends. I've almost lost my own life. Just let me have this sweatshirt. And then Jake immediately upon uh, them, uh, upon these Burger King employees almost catching Marco and Morph, immediately is like, hey, that sweatshirt was signed by Steve Young. Like, hey, don't talk <laughs> down the sweatshirt. It's got a signature of a fa- I don't know who Steve Young is, but. Me neither. It was like, it's just. It it's, shows that, it's, it's almost like that sibling thing of like, I can trash talk you, but no one else can. Yeah. yeah. And like, it just shows that, it, it shows how well. Marco and Jake's relationship has developed such that Jake can sort of harness some of Marco's energy a little bit, especially in defense of him. Uh, And it's just very charming and very sweet. Yeah. That whole scene is so funny and charming. I mean, we've basically just been talking most of this time about the differences between the ways that Marco expresses masculinity and the way that David expresses masculinity. So, like, that's its whole own deal. Does Marco... I mean, like, there are some ways in which David's masculinity is a little bit more sort of visibly toxic. But does Marco have a leg to stand on here? He has talons to stand on. Briefly. Um, that's a good question. I think Marco... I think Marco at least does more, like, introspection and self-analysis, even if he tries not to let that show on the outside. Hmm. Like, I'm not sure that David is as self-aware as Marco is. Yeah. I think that's very true, yes. I, I think that is basically the main difference, because I was thinking through it, and I was thinking, well, Marco didn't really have any sense of loyalty to the Animorphs or the cause to start until it became personal. So you can't really, I mean, maybe he doesn't have a leg to stand on, except for the fact that he is more introspective and, and self-critical. And we've, we also, I mean, obviously we've seen much more of Marco's personality because we've been with him for longer. So we've seen him, like, getting really attached to the baby skunks and, like, having a lot of feelings about his mother and... Throwback to the throwback to the Ramon babies and also Baldwin Boy 5. Baldwin, oh, Boy, Baldwin 5. Boy 5. Anyway, we've seen him, you know, be able to tell, like really analyze like group dynamics and tell like what he needs to do to make a group dynamic go the way he wants it to or the way Jake wants him to make it go. And I think a lot of that may just be because Marco has had a more consistent friend group that he had and like presumably has also had friends like because he and Jake were best friends even before the journals started. So I think some of that is just that Marco has had more consistently good interaction with people than David. This is true. So that's not a masculinity thing, but I think it is incredibly I think, I think it's incredibly important when you're looking at these these two people and trying to sort of 
figure out how, how they end up being so at odds with each other at like the sort of like the deep emotional foundations of why they're at odds with each other. Ooh, I might be about to say something either really stupid or really deep. I feel like Marco, Rachel, and David are sort of like a triptych. Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah. Triptych, whatever. Triptych. Thank you. Of like all three of like sort of that each one of them has some set of characteristics in common with another one, but in a way that they don't like. Thinking mostly about Rachel and Marco, because we get to sort of see inside their heads more. We don't know as much about David, but for Marco, it's like he and Rachel share that like constructed persona thing. And each of them, their their constructed persona is kind of great on each other. And then Marco and David share that like compensating with masculinity trait. But like Marco knows he can be better than that. And so seeing... David sort of embracing that unironically and wholeheartedly, like, grates on him. And then I think the sort of Rachel-David leg of the triangle is, like, sort of over-the-top expressions of extremely gendered interests and stuff. So I, I don't know where exactly where I'm going with this, but I feel like those three are a really interesting comparison. I kind of hate that my first thought when you bring up the idea of them as a triptych is to try to analyze their Myers-Briggs personality types. Um, Myers-Briggs is fake and unscientific, and I think I also saw someone say it was racist, so... It's, it's incredibly bunk, and it's been bunk for a really long time, but that's where my brain goes. I'm um, an INFP. I'm also an INFP. Um, and I'm an INFJ. Nice. I, I think that all three of the people that you've just mentioned are S and J. Social justice? Yeah, social justice. The other thing that uh, I think is a, a real window into the ways in which David and Marco masculinity differently is at the very end of chapter eight, wherein like David's trying to get rid of the cube. He's like, oh yeah, I've got his plans to get rid of the cube. And Marco, like Marco learns that he's planning to sell it to Visser 3 on the internet. <laughs> and like his initial reaction is, you idiot freak, do you know who's going to show up looking for that box? But his immediate immediate second reaction immediately after that and the last words of chapter eight are how in the world am i going to save your life which is not something that david would think if the situation was reversed exactly it's not about the cube anymore yeah marco wants to keep people alive marco wants to do everything he can to preserve and bolster his community okay if we really want to talk about like terrible personality sorting things i think marco is a slytherin in that like people who are his are his and it does not necessarily it's not necessarily a very high threshold to get into his in-group but i do think that he does not care as much about people outside of his in-group yeah i think you're probably right about that i'm a ravenclaw and also i completely agree with what what you said about Marco. I don't. I'm even, also a Ravenclaw. I don't even know why the pot is hairy. Didn't have Sudi Biku write that? Yeah, she's done so much work. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Can you believe she invented Minecraft as well? Like such diverse interests and skills. Pretty well. What's Minecraft? You don't know where Minecraft is? Parker, are you okay? I've got like six. Let's bring it home, folks. I've got like <laughs> six gigabytes of Minecraft mods next to the like 200 megabytes that Minecraft is as a game. You say these words and all I hear is a 1990s dial-up tone. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Great Foley work. Uh, I love the sound effect for the for the burglar alarm. Uh, it's one uppercase W, three lowercase Ws, and then ah! um, <laughs> uh, and then the phone ringing. And they alternate. They alternate. Uh, good sound effects in this one. Um, yeah, do we have anything else to discuss besides sound effects? <laughs> I didn't take notes. I just read this one, like, 
I mean, I, as you may have noticed on the class forums, I sent the notes in about uh, 45 minutes before we were supposed to start talking, so. <laughs> no judgment, been there doing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. This, this, this is all I've got for this one. There's a horse in a hibachi restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> Thanks for coming to the class discussion, y'all. Yeah, good to hear you all. Good to hear that your movement went well, Erso. Next week, we are reading volume 21, The Threat, narrated by Jake, I think. Yes, it's narrated by Jake. I wonder who or what the threat could be. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I think it's Jake's haircut on the cover here. <laughs> it's uh it needs to be uh it needs to be removed immediately what if i told you what all if i told you that i had a bowl cut as a child so did i i mean we all had bowl cuts as children but like <laughs> this is a this is i mean t- if you're talking about war crimes this is just it's too i was much. like a very feral child and my hair was just impossibly tangled so one of my moms sat me down literally like cut off a braid of my hair and then she actually genuinely just put a bowl on my head and cut around the edges oh my god i am not kidding dang that's horrible give you that it was really bad i went to school the next day and they said oh hello are you new little boy (laughs) (laughs) all right i got a very cool car going past yeah Stay safe from bad haircuts, everyone, and also the pandemic that we are all trapped in. Bye. Bye. Stay safe. <laughs> Stay safe. Bye. The Morph Report is now on Patreon. We care a lot about accessibility, and we want to provide transcripts for our podcast. However, we are not able to keep up with the transcripts ourselves for much the same reason that we care about accessibility in the first place. To help offset these costs, we have introduced two preliminary tiers on Patreon, at a $2 and $5 level, and we are working on more. If you're interested in supporting us so that we can transcribe our episodes and also so that we can pay for our hosting fees on Pinecast, please look us up or follow the link in the episode description or on Twitter. Thank you. Stay safe. Thanks to Noelle Micarelli for the use of their songs Comic Book Girl, off the EP Field Notes from Another Place, and Complicated Spoon. You can find more of their music at noelmicarelli.bandcamp.com. The Morph Report is hosted by Marina Malucci, Scrivener Lamb, and Blythe. You can follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. If you have a question for the Podmorphs, tweet at us or send us an email, and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Stop it, Armageddon.